beat the buffet lunch. (laughs) That's my favorite part of the service. (laughs) That's powerful. Down the road to the cross, to the empty tomb, to the ascended throne. Amen? We're in this room because we all identify and recognize the power and the glory of our risen Savior. And I don't want to lose the tone of today. Today is a celebration. Today is a party. Do you guys realize that? If you guys aren't stirred and motivated and compelled right now, then we just need to do a little heart monitor check. Maybe go get a defibrillator. Because this is our Independence Day. You guys realize that? This is our day of freedom. This is our day of liberty in our faith, as Drew said. I mean, he, he brought it. That's exactly what this is. Jesus is alive. And that's why we're in this room. Our God, our Savior, is alive. He's not in the grave anymore. And we are here because we recognize that. We're here because that's the only power and the source and the answer that we have in this life. And so I'm just going to add a little bit to what's already been the gospel that's already been shared. I mean, it's already been brought through the amazing music, our time of worship, the prayer time, through everything. The gospel's already been presented. I want to add just a little bit to that and to encourage you from the word of God and to keep this mindset, this celebration atmosphere going. We're going to have an extended time in worship. We're going to have a couple songs instead of one toward the end because I want us to continue on in this mode. It's not about me behind this pulpit. It's not about what goes on up here. It's about him. And it's about us celebrating him and recognizing why we're here and what we've been called to. So again, y'all know me. It's my desire to be done in a brief amount of time so we can get other two songs in and maybe beat the Easter rush. But I just hope you guys have this celebratory heart and attitude tonight. This is the greatest celebration we can experience as a body of Christ globally. And just to remind us, folks, there is only one church, one congregation, one Bible, I mean, one source of life and hope, the ecclesia globally. Right now we're experiencing with the body of Christ globally, the forces of darkness are running today. Now, they are every Sunday, but today specifically, because what are we all declaring in one accord? He is risen. Genesis 3 has been fulfilled. Jesus has come and stuck his big heel on the head of Satan and has crushed it. That's what we celebrate today. That's what we're declaring today. That's why we're here. So we need to have this party atmosphere. This is nothing like any Iron Bowl win we've ever had. It's nothing even like me standing at the altar with my beautiful bride or having these three amazing kids. This day surpasses all of that in the significance of what it is and the joy that it brings. And we need to recognize that. So briefly, I want to just express some things. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just want to highlight some things and talk about today the true resurrection joy of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 is a key chapter. In the New Testament, because this is where Paul kind of declares and confesses and just puts forth the resurrection doctrine of Christ. This is also a chapter that we go to in our faith that is a historical context for us, that people actually have physically seen Jesus and testify that Jesus has been physically seen. And for us, that has to happen, that he is alive, he has risen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Amen. 
according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And I love that Paul puts that last part in, according to the scriptures. He's letting the church at Corinth know and letting all of us know that this event, this plan of God was declared for thousands of years. This was God's plan from the beginning for us. So according to the scriptures, he was he died, he was buried and he was raised. And then briefly, the next few verses, he declares Peter saw him. 500 people at one time witnessed Christ. Then he appeared to James, his brother, and then to me also. And those are significant for our doctrine, that people physically saw Jesus, that 500 people at one time physically saw Jesus for it to be a historical fact that we can come back and look to. So Paul is putting this forward, saying this is why our faith and our gospel is true and why we can stand on it and believe it. Go to verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? In the church in Corinth there, there was some debating this, saying they don't even know if Jesus had risen. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. It's empty. It's useless, Paul's saying. And your faith also is vain. Moreover, we're even found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And here's a key verse. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And you are still in your sins. Praise God for that declaration of the contradiction of if Christ was not raised, all of us in this room would be fools. Would we not? Why would we be here? We are foolish people. Because as people have always said, either Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, or what? Lord. It's one of those three. And Paul is saying here, he is Lord. He is true. He is faithful. He's honest. But again, our faith would be worthless. So in verse 17, which is such a key for us, the resurrection from the dead provides us a way of repentance and for the forgiveness of sins that we've just sung this morning. Acts 5.31 says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He paid the way through the resurrection of Christ to reconcile us back to himself, to pay for the penalty of our sins as we've declared today. And out of that has brought a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are all in this room, if we have come to saving faith in Christ, if we've recognized his work on the cross for us, that he died for us, that he paid the price, the penalty of sin for us, we are born again. We all have experienced new life and new birth in Christ and the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Go to chapter, uh, verse uh, 50, next page, verse 50, 51, 1 Corinthians just to carry on in the same mindset of what the resurrection has provided for us. So we are no longer still in our sins. We have come to a place of repentance and forgiveness and new life and hope in Christ. And in verse 51, Paul continues to declare this victory we have. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Hallelujah. 
In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ saves us even from the impending judgment that is to come. You guys know the wrath of God is coming again. Praise God, it came on Jesus Christ for our sins. But for those that do not come to saving faith in Christ, it is coming. Judgment is coming. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, it's Jesus who delivers or rescues us from the wrath to come. So we should even be in here today going, Thank you, Jesus, that you have delivered me and rescued me from what is about to come later. And I have that place. And as we are changed... We are changed into our own resurrection from the dead to experience eternal life in the presence of God himself. That's our hope. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So it says in verse 33, From this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on the immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written. Hallelujah. That death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As Robbie prayed, we've all come in here with different things today. Absolutely, trials, heartache, pain, suffering, I'm sure. Feeling shame and guilt. But this verse declared, we have victory. It's already done. We have everything we need to endure, to persevere, to be able to overcome any circumstance, any emotion, any rejection that we're experiencing today because of the victory that we have in Christ. The full work of the cross could not be realized or fully effective until that tomb was empty. Do you guys continue to realize that? The cross and the tomb working together. Because if Jesus was still in the grave, we're still bound in our sins. We still have no hope in Christ. But because of the victory of the empty tomb, we can then understand and have fullness of joy and victory over sin, death. And fullness in the power of the Spirit. So just those few things in 1 Corinthians 15, we see experiencing repentance and forgiveness of sin, this new life and hope that we have in Christ the resurrection, that we get to experience eternal life in the presence of the Lord. And all of this was in fulfillment of God's redemptive plan for twofold, that we can experience intimacy with him for his glory, to redeem us back to himself, and to experience true joy, the true word of joy, the true gladness and delight in God. And I want to highlight that for the remaining moment and just encourage you with this true joy, this resurrection joy of Christ. I was this week as I've been doing the Palm Sunday service and I'm doing the Good Friday service the other night. The Lord has really been speaking to me through this little small meditational devotional that's been put out by John Piper and some of his contemporaries. And then one of his authors and friends and guys that's on his staff named Tony Reinke, um, emphasized this one aspect of a verse that I want to highlight that the Lord revealed this week. And he just highlights about the joy of Christ. 
and him enduring to the end because of the joy of Jesus. You know, today we, a lot of us come here going, man, today I can remember what Jesus did for me, right? A lot of us can make this all about us. But guys, today is about making much of him. Making much of what he did for us. Him, his glory, his power, the revelation of who he is. And this resurrection joy of Jesus, that this is what compelled him and motivated him to the cross, to the tomb, and to the throne. Reinke goes on to say, if we miss the significance of the resurrection, if we scamper past the greatest joy in the universe, as the dark shadows stalked the soon-to-be-crucified Christ, he turned his attention to joy. Jesus forecast the changes to come in his resurrection. He wanted his disciples to anticipate Easter Sunday as the cataclysmic dawning of true joy. Go with me quickly to John chapter 15. Just want to show you here what Jesus sowed into his disciples and what we can reflect on for us. John chapter 15, from John 13 to John 18. This is the Last Supper, okay? So when we read these, you've got to understand context. This is significant. Whatever is read and read from 13 to 18 is them around that table, taking the cup, the bread, just being together, fellowshipping, Jesus washing their feet. So this is the most important thing Jesus could can tell them and encourage them with before he went to the cross. And in John 15, in verse 8, very familiar passage, Jesus says to them, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's the key verse. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Have you ever meditated upon that scripture? The joy of Jesus himself. He's saying, all those things I just said about my relationship with the Father, my love for him, my obedience to him, this incredible divine relationship that I have with the Father, and how I desire you to experience that too. Because I shared that with you, I want my joy to be in you through that relationship. Have you ever thought about the joy of Jesus? On a daily basis, what Jesus enjoyed, what delighted him, what made him happy and glad in relation to the Father and on this life? Something to think about. I mean, it's there. It's one of the only scriptures in all the New Testament that mentions my joy, capitalized, the joy of Christ himself. And as we know, and we're all here today, the only way any of us can have our joy made full is through whom? Him and his joy. And what makes Jesus delighted in it, what makes him glad and happy and to experience so take that verse in your mind, just thinking about the joy of Christ. And one of my favorite verses tied to this is John 4, 34, where Jesus was telling his disciples after meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus said, my food, what satisfies me, what brings me sustenance, what fulfills me, is to do the will of him who sent me and to what? Accomplish his work. There's the joy of God. There's the joy of Christ. So one part of it, to fulfill that mission, that will of the Father, out of love and obedience. Go one chapter over to 16. 
See how this ties into this next declaration and encouragement that Jesus brings to his disciples. As we know, many times Jesus has been telling them, I'm going to die. The Son of Man is going to die. But again, what? Three days later, he's going to rise again. He's talked to them about this multiple times. So this came up again in verse 19 of chapter 16. Jesus knew that they, the disciples, wished to question him. And he said to them, are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not see me? And again a little while and you will see me. Truly I say to you that you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve. And here's the beauty. But your grief will be turned into what? Joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. I'm not going to say if they need an amen on that. It's between you and God. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again. Ira just played it. We're what? We shall behold him. That's the hope of this day. And he goes on to say, I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. And no one will take your joy away from you. Guys, this is significant just in the context of Jesus over here expressing, I want you to experience my joy. What compels me, what I delight in, what I get to experience with the Father, the love I have. I want you to experience that. And in that, you will weep, you will have pain, you will experience anguish. And as my Carmen, the artist, back in years ago used to say, it seems like Friday night, but what? Sunday's on the way. That's what this verse is expressing. You're going to weep. You're going to anguish. You're going to feel pain. You're going to suffer some things. But guess what? My joy is still there. You will rejoice, and we can experience that here. The hope and joy goes beyond the weeping, the grief, the pain, and the anguish. So only joy, going back to Reinke here just to finish up in a minute, only joy would keep him going. Joy was on his mind. Joy was on his tongue. Joy was drawing him, not away from suffering, but into it. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. One of my favorite scriptures here. Hebrews chapter 12. Guys, this is our day of joy. This is what should revive us and renew us, continuing to empower us with the joy of Christ, experiencing his joy and what he saw. Revelation 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and the writer of Hebrews is talking about all those men and women of faith in chapter 11, let us also lay aside or throw off, the NIV says, every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And it's almost like the writer saying, how can we do that? How can we lay off? How can we put aside the sin, these things that so easily entangle us? How can we run this race with endurance that is set before us? Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the what? The joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down 
at the right hand of the throne of God. If we fix our eyes on Jesus right now, where is he? Throne, ruling and reigning as our ascended king. The author and perfecter of our faith. What I love about that is, too, the author of our faith is our justification. You can write out there. He justified us as the author of our faith. And then he is perfecting us through what? Sanctification. This happens. We're experiencing that because of the resurrection joy of Jesus. And have you ever thought about the joy that was set before him? Think about it. His entire life, from birth till his ascension, had a joy ahead. That compelled him. It motivated him. It moved him to the cross. John Piper expressed a couple of things regarding this. He said, The greatest labor of love that ever happened was possible because Jesus pursued the greatest imaginable joy, namely the joy of being exalted to God's right hand in the assembly of a redeemed people. It is not unbiblical, therefore, to say that what sustained Christ in the dark hours of Gethsemane was the hope of joy beyond the cross. This does not diminish the reality and the greatness of his love for us because the joy in which he hoped was the joy of leading many sons to glory. We got some sons and daughters to glory in here? That's that's what it is. His joy is in our redemption, which redounds back to God's glory. It goes right back to John 4. Jesus saying, all that I am, everything that feeds me, the food that I need, the sustenance, is to accomplish the will of the Father, which is to redeem a people back to himself for the glory of the Father, that God would be lifted up, exalted, ruling and reigning, his kingdom established for all eternity, and that we can join in in that relationship to reconcile us back to himself. We were a part of that joy. Isn't that incredible? That even in Gethsemane, as he's weeping and crying out, God, take this cup from me. That was real. He experienced emotion. We talked about that Friday night. Him crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The anguish of the soul of Jesus, feeling complete rejection from his father. But knowing as he's looking down into history's future, he remained and he persevered and he endured for the joy that was set before him. And we are part of that joy. And in turn, that resurrection joy is now what? Imparted to us through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus went to the cross, Rocky continues, for joy, to buy it, to create joy, to offer joy. If the killing of the author of life could not extinguish this joy that Jesus speaks about, nothing can and nothing ever will. No opposition from the world, no opposition to the gospel, and no cultural despising of Christ will overcome the resurrection joy of Jesus. And guys, that's for us. There's nothing in this life, nothing we can experience, no trials, frustrations, rejection, cultural things that are going on in this life that should ever overcome or affect our joy in Christ. That's where we're set apart. That's where people are going to look at us and go, how is there something different about you? Because of the resurrection joy of Jesus. That sets us apart from others. The resurrection joy of Jesus escapes the clutches of death because it's the joy of the new creation. A joy broken free from the evil of this fallen world and that makes Easter breathtaking. 
Jonathan Edwards says, The resurrection of Christ is the most joyful event that ever came to pass. The resurrection is the most joy-filled divine event in history, worthy of our eternal adulation and awe and wonder. In the long history of joy in this fallen world, after ages of unsatisfied appetites and hunger pangs in the hearts of men and women and children, the resurrection of Christ marks a crescendo. Never has joy found greater expression on earth. This is our peak where we come and experience the joy of Christ through his resurrection and what he accomplished for us, conquering death, hell, and the grave. One last scripture. Tim Keller says, Christ's resurrection not only gives you the hope for the future, it gives you hope to handle your scars right now. And that's what Robbie, go to 1 Peter chapter 1, last scripture I want to encourage you with. And that's what Robbie prayed. Many of us have come in here this morning in despair, heartache, pain, trials, rejection we've experienced, maybe fractured relationships. The hope is the resurrection. The hope is who we are in Christ, in his joy, to be able to endure and overcome those things. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We read this part earlier. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. We all have a reservation. Amen? Every one of you in here as kingdom kids have an inheritance of glory in the presence of God. And we get to experience it together. Verse 5. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, here we are, present day, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, You love him. That's us. And though we don't see him now, we believe in him. And you greatly rejoice with what? Joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. What Peter's saying here is what was declared in verse 3, that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ compels us and allows us and postures us postures us to no matter what happens, what takes place, the various trials, the testings by fire, we can walk through those things and endure those three things through praise and glory and honor through the power of Jesus Christ and experience his joy that's inexpressible and to come before him because of the salvation of our souls. We can rejoice in the midst of that and the resurrection provides that for us. We look to the cross and the empty tomb and to the throne. There our joy resides. There's our trust. There's our peace. There's everything we need to endure. Amen? So if you guys would just stand a moment, I want to read this over to you as the worship team comes up. Guys, we are here to experience and to continue to worship our risen Savior, our resurrected Lord. 
to experience His joy. His joy. I want you to get to think about that as you're singing and worshiping. What, think about the joy that God is experiencing today. Because He is. Today, God is delighted in. Today, God is experiencing gladness. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are experiencing joy today because we are here. Because we are exalting Him and glorifying Him and praising Him. So I'm going to leave this to you as we pray. That this was declared in Psalm 103, if you just bow your heads with me. It's amazing that David declared this so long ago in the Psalms. That the resurrected King we worship today is the one who pardons all of our iniquities. He's the God who heals all of our diseases. He is the God who redeems our life from the pit. He is our king who crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. And he satisfies our years with good things. That king is worthy of our praise today. God, I thank you so much as we have sung, as we have prayed, as we have declared your lordship, your kingship, your risen power and authority. God, we thank you that we get to share in your resurrected joy. God, make that real to us. It's almost incomprehensible to think that we can share in and experience the joy of God. What, what you enjoy in and among yourself as the Godhead, your love, your joy. And I pray for all of us as we finish out with these last two songs of praise, giving you honor and glory that is due you. That maybe we would look at joy a different way. Maybe we've come in here and said, Lord, I haven't been experiencing your joy. I have not been a person who's been walking in joy. I've let the things of the world and different things come in and cloud that and beat it down. But I pray this morning that you would have an encounter with a resurrected king. Some may have to come to the altar and just say, Lord, I want to lay it all down. I want to experience your joy, your life that's new. Some may be here this morning because you've come with family or It's a part of your tradition to come once a year or twice a year. But I just want to say to you, there's a God that loves you. There's a Jesus who died for you, who took the penalty of your sin upon himself, who paid the price that the wrath of God went upon him instead of you. He loves you. He's asking you to come experience the new life, experience forgiveness of sin, experience eternal life in him. If you've never made that step, you've never made that declaration, you've never acknowledged and said, Jesus, I need you to save me. I want to be born again. Please come forward. Pray with a family member. Do business with God right there. Today can be your Independence Day, as it is for many of us. So God, for the others, I pray as we rejoice and we exalt you and praise you because you are worthy. May we experience your joy today in a new, fresh way. And if we haven't been, God, I pray you renew us and you refill us. Refresh us with your spirit today in Jesus' name. That we can enjoy the joy of the Lord. Because you are worthy to be praised.